welcome to the BFI this Sunday February evening it now is after um, after we've had lots of entertainment and a quiz of Rassilon which we won I'll just say that straight out and out it, it, um, sorry Cy Hart we did manage to win without you for <laughs> um, I'm Pete I'm Tom I'm Dan I'm Chris I'm Matt I'm Hannah and we are all Doctor Who fans, believe it or not, and we've been here for varying durations, but you got here first, Hannah, didn't you? Because... Yes, I was here at half past nine on a Sunday morning, quite an early start. Some people managed to make it for Chris Chapman's new Graham Williams documentary, uh, which was really interesting. I, I It's an era I'm not that familiar with, and mm. I was really curious because I know it's got a reputation that's you know, not as strong as some other eras, and and it was fascinating to see what I thought was a very balanced view of yeah. Graham Williams, not just on Doctor Who, but his whole career and other aspects of his life as well. He was like, he was 31 when he was made Doctor Who producer. That's just practically a teenager as far as I'm concerned. It's not, that, I can't it's not it. that different from Philip Hinchcliffe. And yet, they were both yeah. that young. Yeah, yeah and, but it's quite interesting that having sort of seen Philip Hitchcliffe sort of talk about it as well he was very ambitious and he'd got kind of similar experience of having come from a script editing background as well yeah. so it seems like they were quite open at the time for script editors to move up into sort of producer and for Dot 2 to be the first thing they were producing as well it's interesting that they made that decision twice they felt it worked well with Philip Hinchcliffe and they wanted to give it another go it seems with um, Graham Williams yeah yeah they weren't afraid to take risks but and with what was a really popular show you could still a new person could get a go at it yeah, yeah. And his background seems to have been quite a lot of sort of police procedural type stuff. Uh, I, I, I'd love to try and dig into it because I feel like I know quite a lot of, at least, at least by even name, a lot of archive TV police series. But he, Graham Williams, had gone and done some stuff in Scotland that I, you know was less familiar by name for me. Even though some of the actors in it were familiar, it felt like he'd yeah. got like some sort of good experience, but nonetheless. Sort of, as I think he'd said himself in later interviews, Doc Who is unique yeah. and nothing can quite prepare you for it. And Chris Chapman set one of the quiz rounds, didn't he? And the final question was, <laughs> was Graham Williams awesome? <laughs> yes or no? And, uh, and we got it right, didn't yeah, we? I, was like, I, I, I saw he was a similar age to he, who, him, you know, when he sort of took over that. Mm. I think that you know, must have been sort of quite a daunting prospect, you know, certainly exciting. It felt like he'd got sort of a decent grounding for it. But nonetheless, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's a big step up. I, I think you're certainly involved in a lot more, like, pieces of pie. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I felt it sort of gave us a good idea of sort of his background, people trying to sort of talk about his motivations. And um, also, yeah, interesting that they had his... A lot of people from his professional life, but also his wife and his three and, and kids, they, who you know, sort of kind of balance the sort of qualities yeah. of him. And yeah, you can kind of make your own mind up. It's very much told in their words, but you can make your own mind up to an extent of well, how much did that feed into his professional career? They they showed a little clip of it in, 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 as we got to see all sorts of things uh, later on after after the horror fang rock itself, uh, and that include, and at one point um, his young his youngest son appeared to give yes. a quote and a, a voice somewhere <laughs> down our, it was not me somewhere down our, when his youngest son appeared someone down our row went ooh <laughs> he was a he was a handsome young chap his, his <laughs> eldest son looks so incredibly like him they, they share some photos of. You know, them because all, all his two, he had sort of three children, and they were, you know, sort of, his eldest was about sort of 13, 14, um, and when Graham Williams died, but nonetheless, mm. was already very much looking like his father by then. And it's one of those you can feel like everyone his whole life must be telling him, You look so like your dad. Yeah, um, yeah that's 
that's what right. I think to, to carry and because they, they're sort of, I think he's about 13 the youngest is sort of about sort of 7 when he died they've all got quite mixed you know amounts of memories of it but they've got you know memories you know because it's the kind of job where it comes home and you end up mm. working from home and and it, you know it influences your, your, your family life as well and you know I don't, I don't want to give too much away, especially because Chris Chapman said, "Could you try not to give too much away? I want people to come to this as, as, as fresh as yeah. possible." Um, but it's really fascinating. I really enjoyed Chris Chapman's JNT um, documentary on um, previous one. I felt it gave a really good overview of John Nathan Turner's life, and you felt like you got a really good idea of mm. you know, the man and what drove him, and his, you know, his perhaps his sort of strengths and weaknesses, and how different people in different parts of his life saw that. I feel the Warren Williams one does that really well as, as well, and they're both stories that have the sadness, you know, sort of both men I think perhaps did not, you know, end, end up exactly where they wanted to, and but it's nonetheless a very well-researched celebration of um, Graham Williams' life. Um, yeah, like, Chris has done a really good job on this. Yeah, got it. We had a little um, bonus feature of Frank Skinner popping up on stage to give a little mini interview at one point, didn't we? And he, yeah. he couldn't stop himself saying, yeah, I did a documentary about Terence Dix, which yeah. didn't get a screening at the BFI. <laughs> uh, it's just something that these are deserving of, of thorough screening and that, you know, there's been Chris Chapman keeps putting like the tally of them on Twitter um, of which ones they're up to and which ones are in production and you know they vary from these big biographical ones to I think you know sort of more getting people together and stuff Um, he's very good at letting people tell stuff in their own words and but editing them in a way and using archives of footage and photographs that tells us a really good story yeah yeah, we, we saw um, a clip of his Horror Fang Rock documentary. Obviously, Horror Fang Rock, you know, it's filmed in Birmingham, but they actually go to a proper lighthouse just for a bit of scene setting. Did you say um, that's near where you live? Yeah, yeah, it's a Beachy Head, Brighton. Oh, uh, I think Louise Jameson lives near there, so that's quite convenient probably for the production <laughs> team. Um, but they did that thing on the clip that we saw where... I can't remember who it is on Twitter, but they've done like a recreation of the set as it was in the studio. Um, oh, the whole 3D walk around. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've just I, watched it, and I you know, think it's, it's Chris Orton who does these on Twitter. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris Orton, um, because we, we've just watched it, and you know, in your head, it's so convincing. You know, you imagine yeah. the the height, the lighthouse, and all the different levels. In reality, it was six sort of uh, circular sets in, in one room um, and to see that on screen and for Toby Haydock to um, you know guide his way through it like he compared it to playing Doom on, a, on an <laughs> early PC um, yeah it, I would it, totally play if there was a game where you're going around Doctor Who sets <laughs> yes. and there are monsters trying to kill you and you've got to there are production issues going wrong <laughs> yeah. the clock is ticking to 10pm and you've got to try and negotiate <laughs> with the electricians yeah. a really angry John Nathan Turner is coming to someone in the, in the Q&A afterwards the Q&A's are brilliant and we've got um, Louise Jameson and the people who play Tom uh, Vince thank you uh, yeah the person who played Vince who was John Abbott and the person who played Adelaide um, who got quite a reception <laughs> of Scre- I gave a scream. I gave a scream. When scream she died. <laughs> um, yeah. And she was self 
self-deprecating herself. Mm. She said, I, I think it's testament to her because God knows how many times she's had to sit through the story. <laughs> yeah. She said, I just watched that again and I wanted to slap myself. <laughs> so she, she was honest at, at the part, but also showed a lot of interest about the specific thing, seeing it on the big screen, seeing it with changed special effects, perhaps a little bit enhanced. She loved it, didn't she? She, she loved, she loved it. Effects, she she yeah. also felt there was more drama, which mm. she absolutely loved. Because she said she always knew it was a good story, but it was a good story for 77. Now she thinks it's a better story for the modern Doctor Who fan, which mm. we can either agree or disagree with. Well, there was so much blue screen, um, you know, we, we saw in the behind the scenes. Um, I mean, it was quite clear on screen, you know, that the whole lighthouse exterior yeah. shots where they're looking over at the mist was all done on blue screen and maybe it was it was sort of too ambitious at the time um, well, with Tom, anything with Tom Baker's hair in front of a blue screen <laughs> is, is ambitious yeah. and they've clearly done so much work to, to, yeah. to reduce that yeah, so, so we watched it with the optional CGI effects mm. um, new, new updated effects you should say because a lot of it wasn't CGI there was um, there was sort of a bit of cleaning up around the around the edges of the fringing and there was the new Rutan puppet quite mm. uh, who actually came yeah, was there we actually saw yeah. the Rutan yeah, puppet the additional <laughs> guest for the day was the new Rutan yeah. puppet yeah I got a selfie with it um, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was quite friendly afterwards. Didn't do a signing. Um, oh, I don't think it could hold the pen. Bit of loot. Um, you'd have thought with all those tentacles. Yeah, Louise, Louise, Louise to the signing. That was that was popular. But. Yeah, the, the the amount of love and effort that goes into it. Um, yeah, we saw the saw yeah loads of new uh, new effects. I love seeing how Tom Baker's performance changes through the story. And this isn't a full going to be a full review of the story. We're just having obviously this is just a little thing about the event. But you, on the big screen. I really noticed how in episode one he's very serious. Then in episode two he gets a bit jokey about it and and like lightens it a bit. And I think he's doing that deliberately. And when he's saying things like, you know, we're, um, this lighthouse is under attack and we're probably all going to die, and like, and then there's a big smile in episode two. Whereas in episode three, it's all got much grimmer, and he's delivering lines like that, but he ain't doing a big toothy smile with it. In episode after being a bit jokey about it in episode two, but as we get further in, he. he goes down, doubles down on, on making it really scary and serious. And one of the actors actually said that because he knew that Tom said he would, wanted to bounce off him because he'd done a lot of improv theatre, including playing Snoopy, and um, he was saying that Tom and him had rehearsed they were going to do a scene in a certain way, and then suddenly when they got to it, Tom decided, nope, I'm just doing it how I know it works. <laughs> and he stuck to it, and so it, it actually slightly wrong-footed him when he was delivering it. But that's the sort of insight you don't normally hear or normally get. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the, 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 the anecdote there from, from John Abbott playing Vince, where he said the moment it got into the studio, Tom Baker was almost playing to camera. You know, he, he was front and <laughs> yeah. centre of the camera. He wouldn't look at the, the actor, you know, Vince had to look at the doctor sort of sideways. The, the clips uh, they used to illustrate that is like, oh, you're so right, aren't you? But, yeah. but there was some magnificent close-ups of Tom Baker. Like, That's you know, the thing, it yeah. Was, he's got such a face. And I think, I think this is the lit very literally, in the literal sense of the word literal, the darkest Doctor Who story. It's so much darkness yeah. and swirling mist in darkness. And like having, having um, mist when the screen is dark anyway because it's night is a really, must be so challenging to do in a TV I mean, they, studio. They did, and they, they did say there was a phosphorescent glow, yeah. the mist, 
I, I'm not sure that was part of the whole routine thing or if it was just so we could see what was on screen because it's set mm. at night, there's sort of mist and rocks and everything. There's, there's such a reluctance to dim stuff in the studio at that time. Often heard from, I think, frustrated actors and directors who tell about, oh no, the lighting technicians all turned around and, 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 and said, you can't have it this dark, you, you, you won't see anything. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get complaints. Yeah. 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 But in, in reality, you find that, and I don't know whether it's persistence from directors or what, you know, without breaking it down more, mm. but you do find these on stories, they do it and it works so well. And yeah, I think it, it, it's a story, you know, always you want to dig, dig into it about unions at the time and the power they had under certain circumstances but it shows when there's when it can do whatever it needs to for the story without yeah. being constrained you get something that you know you're not just imagining it or oh, it could look a bit better it no it really looks fantastically atmospheric yeah you, you compare this to uh, the invisible enemy which as we found out in the quiz was filmed before horror fang oh, i know we we, got we, question we all thought well, we all thought it was a trick question, didn't we? Because it was like, which was filmed first? And we're like, okay, well, he's implying, therefore, it wasn't the horror fan world. But that's what he wants us to think. Yeah. Uh, and actually, it wasn't the horror fan world. <laughs> and I think the uh, the write up in the program was a bit misleading because there was a bit where it said um, invisible enemy got pushed back, yeah, and then horror fan yeah. had to yeah. fill its place. But then that must have changed later on. So that's what ah right right yeah, that, yeah. That yeah. Threw me but in, invisible yeah. enemy is is like so bright, futuristic mm. corridors like. They, they can dim the lights if they want, if they think it's fitting. Um, uh, and yeah, both with crazy blue screen effects, which must have been so challenging for Graham Williams coming in and, and realising just how difficult yeah. Doctor Who was. Well, they talked, didn't they, some of them, um, I think, clips from the Valley um, material about having all these reflected surfaces, mm. you know, which is always from yeah. TV, are mirrors. They had all this reflective glass and having to keep spraying it, which then adds to all this mist. Because um, if you got a reflection of the blue from the blue screen, it would make the picture disappear for that bit. Yeah, that and I mean, you, it. Yeah, you've yeah, got yeah. to appreciate that it's still... Although we're used to the fact that Doctor Who's been using stuff like CSO for a fair few years by this point, it's... It's one of the first. It's still a really quite new technology. Yeah. It's not been developed that much. Not many of the people really want to experiment and, and with it, you know, pushing the boundaries of it in this way and having to find workarounds. It, you know, it, it's just, yeah, you. no one else has done this. You've got to figure it out yourself. And, it, you know, it, I think it speaks to the ambition that the production team had. Yeah. yeah. Do, uh, do, do we want to mention the optional the updated CGI effect for the um, I mean I didn't spot it at all until Chris Thompson uh, mentioned it but the uh, the light in the lighthouse so hopefully this this won't spoil people it's, it's more of a sort of an easter egg because it's so subtle we didn't didn't notice it at first what he's done is where the light is rotating in the middle of the lighthouse um, you know, obviously in, in the studio it wasn't bright enough to mm. cast any sort of light or shadow so it's quite a flat environment what they've done is they've added every time the light goes past the camera or past the actors it just sort of adds a bit more of a shine to make it look more convincing yeah, effect. and in the model shots you can see take them, yeah. yeah, you said it takes them days to do like yeah. one shot because yeah. it's, it's adding and it 
back into the the action. And it's really nice that with the model shots, they've kept them as they pretty much as they were, but they've just mm. done little enhancements. Like they've made it clearer that the light is rotating, not just flashing on and off and things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not yeah. like they've re- completely redone the lighthouse. At no, because that lighthouse was perfect. The only bit, the bit that I, I was sitting there thinking, this is this is good because it all feels 1977. The only bit I wasn't sure about was where, and I guess it's a spoiler, but there's a bit where some you, know, you see Ruben kind of splitting open in a, in a CGI way, which looks really cool, but there's no way they could have done that in 77. It, 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 it did take you out a bit, a little yeah. bit, sorry. Yeah, it yeah. did take you out at the moment a little bit with that effect. So, yeah, it wasn't just me. Yeah. But it was lovely. It did look really good, and though, the, yeah. Ruben yeah. Ruben is very lovely. I was just going to say the uh, the ship crash at the end of part one. Yes. Because I've only seen it twice before, so I genuinely thought that that was the original model shot. I didn't. It was so seamless and so yeah. it, it looked like sixteen millimeter film. Yeah. Had been transferred onto a two inch tape. It, it, it looked perfect. And didn't the guy say that he'd sp- he'd spent ages watching yeah. six specifically watching sixteen millimeter film footage of real ships crashing yeah. in order to make it look like that? Because yeah. uh, when I think of uh, added CGI effects, my head's still stuck on the DVD range where they're they're, they're, they're like they're good effects, but they don't they don't fit necessarily. No, it's, it's very nineteen nineties or yeah, to, or, or, or yeah, or 2000s in yeah. 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 So, but so I was really taken aback by. It how it, it, it looks like a new episode in places yeah. I'd say that's the big change I found with the more recent like option like extras mm. if they had yeah I think I found it when I was looking at like the season 20 like extras the ones that were sort of done you know sort of like 15 years ago maybe more they don't gel so quite so well with the stories mm. but now it feels like there's an effort to we want to make this blend in well yeah, with the yeah. era and I Feel, for the most part they really do it's, get, it's, get, it's getting better all the time it's bloody scary that there are some of those effects those new DVD effects now are older than the show was that they were being <laughs> from when the DVDs came out that, that's un- un- uncomfortable to wrestle with when you guys were saying about the effects of you know Ruben I actually thought they weren't modern effects although they're new I thought they they'd made an attempt to make it like an homage to the age, yeah. but not. But the thing is, I think they, you know, because if it was like the new series, we'd know what the special effects should be. But for the budget they've got, mm. I think they've tried to think, well, how far could we push this? Mm. And that's why I think sometimes it works, and other times it takes you out of it because you think, oh, that's a little bit too good. I think that's the problem. It's yeah, that's too it. good no, that's, for the story. Yeah. I, I, I kind of saw it a bit like um, you know with the the new puppet Rutan, which they could have easily done with CGI, uh, and it looks so good because you can get close-ups, um, you can get shots of it. Well, I, I won't spoil it, but there's a, a particular scene that just looks absolutely incredible. It's almost like what if they had like you know a week to do it yeah. instead of a day? It's time, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know what if they had the budget back then? What could they achieve? Admittedly, they probably wouldn't have gone to IKEA and got a lampshade, as <laughs> Thompson said. But um, but it looks almost like something that could have been in you know season thirteen, for mm. example, if they had a bit more money. Yeah, yeah. 
And then, so, so then we got a really nice interviews a panel, as we said, mm. with, and, and it wasn't Louise Jameson looking. She did credit her. She, oh, <laughs> she <looks> stunning. <laughs> she said she has a costume designer, <laughs> or at least a, a, a costume chooser. And, consultant, and yeah. Consultant, <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. word, yeah. Uh, and it was great to have her joined by a couple of the original cast too, uh, and for them all to be able to, uh, yeah, and they all shared their various Tom Baker anecdotes uh, about him being a handful, yeah. but, um, but, but delivering the goods uh, that they were all very, very happy to have worked with him. Yeah. And they, they'd all worked on Emmerdale, which, oh, yeah. was surprise, <laughs> which was a surprise to them all. That's your trivia quiz round in future. Yeah. It must be, is Horror Fang Rock the show with the highest proportion of Emmerdale cast members in its cast. It has not even got Fraser Hines in it. It has not even got I think it was a moment where, um, where John Abbott, who, who plays Vince, uh, said, oh, I played the vicar. And then Annette Woolett, who played Adelaide, said, oh, and I was your sister. And it was, he had no memory of it. No, it was like, what are you? Someone well, uh, sitting next to his, uh, his sister from Emmerdale. <laughs> yeah, and one of the audience questions towards the end, somebody asked, uh, "What was they noticed uh, the name of a certain John Nathan Turner in the uh, in the credits as a floor manager?" And, uh, and someone said, "What was he like to work with?" And Louise James, the other two didn't remember the name, but Louise Jameson came straight back with, "What was it?" He was very camp and very bossy and got everything done or something. Yeah, it was like he, said with said, approval. And she said. Um, and he was very funny, apart from when he wasn't. Yeah. Which was her, I thought was a nice one. But yeah. can I just say, what a fantastic ambassador to the show. God knows how oh, many yeah. interviews Louise Jameson must have done for Doctor Who. She came on stage today, only for 10, 15 minutes with the other staff, but she didn't overstep. She mm. let them tell their stories, and she was proud of the work she's done. And when she talked about... Um, Mary Tam. Thank you. Yeah, when she yeah. when she talks about Mary Tam. About that at all. That no, yeah. Nice and Yeah. So, so, so <laughs> someone asked if she'd given Mary Tam any advice on taking over from her, and she revealed that, that, that she explained that they had been at RADA together and they'd been classmates, and so they'd known each other for years and years. And uh, she said when Mary Tam got the job, she phoned she phoned uh, she phoned her up, and the, Mary Tam's first question was, "How much did they pay you?" It's <laughs> 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 a very Yorkshire question. Yeah. I thought, for the time, a bit women's live in the yeah. Yeah. Mid seventies yeah, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because they were used. To, yes, they must have been uh, used to having to really battle to not get the thin end of the wedge, uh, and uh, and and of course, Louise Jameson was. She got quite emotional talking about her, her lovely friend who's no longer with us, but also and about how talented she was and how she felt that uh, Mary and Tom clicked in a way that she and Tom couldn't because they had that literary. Uh, enthusiasm, you know, they could quote authors to each other and things like that. So they were, they were, they were on the same, uh, on the same wavelength in a way that she and Tom hadn't been back then, uh, and that's probably why it um, it clicked so well for for those two. I think it's, I love hearing like people like Louise and Tom Baker now, and so are other actors who. There's always been talk over the years on they've given interviews where it's been clear they didn't always get on with you know people within the production, but several of them seem to have now reached a point where they can look back and you know with sort of passing of time wisdom yeah. experience they understand why they're not bitter about it it's not you know there's, it, they've realised that you know yeah we just weren't right for the time or you know this is why it didn't work because of X Y Z and like you know. Louise always mentioned her and Tom get on really well now because they're different people as they've grown older and it's really nice to have that sort of intelligent reflection within it where I think mm. especially in a world where you have fandom that stuff can be quite black and white it's good to have that nuance. And Louise also said at the end of her interview 
that she said the exit potentially wasn't the exit that she wanted for the character. Oh, yeah. But she did say that at the same time, the day before, Graham Williams came to her and, you know, almost asked her, are you absolutely sure? I think they gave... So she believes that she got that weaker ending because he thought, potentially, he could get her back for the following season. Yeah, she talked about how how charming and sweet he was and and that, obviously, yeah, and and he hoped to be able to charm her into staying for one more year because he really wanted her to. But uh, she wasn't. Um, she was already booked up. She was. She, having, she didn't want to be Tom Baker's sidekick for the rest of her life. <laughs> uh, she'd got plenty of other um, irons in the fire. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a ten-month gig for Louise. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. The foot. The footprint yeah. that she's got from that. But, her yeah. pension, as she said. <laughs> yeah. 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 But she, she did say um, after Horror of Fang Rock, she she credited maybe the going to Birmingham to film and sort of staying over there and socialising rather than in London, where Tom could, you know rehearse, go back to his flat maybe they, that something clips and with Graham yeah. coming in as a new producer it kind of falled slightly between her and Tom, maybe not enough She talked about Graham as well you know, it was very much, I think other people did as well, He, someone who wanted to be liked, whereas they said you know, it, it kind of, in comparison, she said you know, Philip Hinchcliffe and was quite reserved and it was work and that was it and that was fine and he wanted a dividing line between it like Graham was the one who would go and have a drink and you know want to talk to you about things and there's a bit more friendliness there and I think you know there's always the case of you know the producer sets the standard if you've got that kind of culture throughout you know between cast and crew then mm. you know possibly there's a chance that you've got more opportunity for things to gel mm. yeah so yeah I mean I, so it's been a really good day we've, we've yeah. had loads of content for, for our visit um, I hope you, uh, you've, you've enjoyed listening to us rabbiting on uh, giving you a little, a little taste of it if you haven't been able to make it yourselves because that's what these field reports are for and um, the next one yeah it's like four weeks away it's not long yeah, is it it is the first Saturday in March for the Celestial Toymaker Celestial Toymaker animation yeah, yeah. yeah. it's my <laughs> ultimate guilty pleasure that story so I'm very much looking yeah. forward to being the only one who likes it right. well, well, it's, well yeah that's a whole podcast because yeah. it's so interesting how it's yeah. gone up and down in fan and it's such an unusual story anyway that's not yeah. what that's not what we're talking about tonight <laughs> but yeah uh, stay tuned I'm sure we'll have something for you from that one uh, so right, we'll just all say goodbye and thanks for listening bye Bye. 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 Thank you. Awesome.